This is the weekly podcast from Spotswood at Ladysmith in Caroline County, Virginia, USA. Rick Nicely is the lead pastor. If you've been with us any length of time, you know uh, we're, we teach through the books of the Bible. And so we're in the book of Acts. I think this is our sixth week. We're in chapter four, the latter half. So you can go ahead and go to Acts 4.32 and we're going to read through Acts 5.11. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. <clears throat> Excuse me. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of the lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and his wife's, I'm sorry, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said to Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself a part of the proceeds of the land? Of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart. You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men arose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whatever, whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husbands are at the door and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. A buddy of mine used to sign all his emails like this. He used to say, if you can't be a great example, be a blaring warning, right? So we have both of these in this text today. And I I will tell you, the second part of this text really, to me, gives to the validity of Scripture. I mean, if you're going to write the Bible and make it appealing to people, are you going to put that part in there, right? The second half. You're probably going to admit that. You're going to say, this is, this is not going to grow churches. This is not going to appeal to people. The guy who lied uh, were and died, and both him and his wife, we're just going to cut out, but they didn't. And so I, I want you to know, first of all, before we get, actually get into our big idea and big uh, step through the text is this. There is no perfect churches, okay? If you're here and you're looking for a church home, I just want you to know we're broken, Okay? 
we're messed up. I like to say we're jacked up, okay? And we always say this phrase here, it's okay not to be okay. It's just not okay to stay there, right? So that's what we want to create here. Um, So I, I want you to understand there's no perfect churches. The other thing is this, the first thing you'll see true about churches as well is there always will be hypocrites, okay? Now, I want to try to explain to you there's a good hypocrisy and a bad. So let me explain a little bit what I I mean by that first. There is the truest sense of hypocrisy, and we'll define that in just a a few minutes, but it's this idea of projecting something that you're really not, okay? Put it on a facade, put it on a mask, if you will. And there's others who, in this sense, are being sanctified through the work of the Holy Spirit. So we're, we're justified before God, we're in right position, righteousness in Christ Jesus. We've been declared, forgiven, pardoned, okay? But then there's that working out of our salvation, right? So there's going to be times where we don't really look like Christ. We, we get in fights with our spouses, or we say things we shouldn't say, or we, we act out a certain way, or we think th- certain thoughts, or we do certain actions that may not add up to who Christ is. And that's that sanctification. So many times we have to be careful and guard. There may be someone who looks like a hypocrite, but the reality is they're working out their salvation with fear and trembling, okay? So the difference is projecting one thing, but actually living something completely different. And so I want you to know right from the beginning, I'm messed up, Okay? I'm a man, and I have faults and failures, and I have sin, and I have struggles in my life, just like everyone else. And there's going to be times where I'm going to let you down. There's going to be times where our leaders let you down. But what I've learned over years is that's not an excuse for not following God. That's not an excuse to abandon the work of the church, because reality is Jesus is none of those. And so Jesus, the reason Jesus came was so he could die for us, and he could be um, the penalty for our sins. And so I want you to understand that from the get-go. All right, what's our big idea today? Our big idea is this. The church's greatest source of unity is not our common affinities, but our gospel identity. Now, I, I, know, I know many of us in here, we like to do certain things, and we all naturally, I think, uh, gravitate to people that like certain things, right? Some of us in here like NASCAR, uh, some of us maybe like, you know, the NFL or college football instead. Or, you know, I know we had a, a, a little uh, fantasy league football going on. And some of us are get you know, we, we identify around that. And there's others who like to hunt and fish, okay? And there's others who uh, like to take care of their yards and lawns. And, and, and so all of us have these affinities, right, that, that we may gather around than we do. Some of you students love to play video games. So you're going to kind of gather around those Students, but the reality is this the, the absolute source of our unity should be the idea that we have identity in Christ and in the gospel. And this is what we're going to see brings the early church together. So, the very first thing we see in 32 through 37 is this Now, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and one soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they all had everything in common. The first thing I want you to write down is this, if you're keeping notes after the big idea, the gospel makes us a generous people. See, 
we need to understand that the generosity starts with God, right? Generosity starts with God. Love gives, love doesn't take, right? And so if God is love, what did he do? He gave us his greatest gift, his son. He started the one being generous. Uh, I'll, I'll talk tonight about, uh, I'll be talking to man church tonight, not man church, I'm sorry, uh, men of valor tonight, uh, over at 4.30 at Shooter's Archery. Please come. If you're a guy, ladies, please let those guys head over there at 4.30. We're going to have ribs and some barbecue, and it's going to be really, really good. So come. We'll have some drinks and hang out and learn from God's word. But one of the things I emphasized last time we were there is this idea of the first Adam and the second Adam. The first Adam failed miserably, right? The second Adam did not, Jesus Christ. Um, the, The first Adam was passive, and the second Adam rejected passivity. He stepped out of the comfort of heaven and took on flesh and blood and became our sacrifice, And so he was our example of generosity. He stepped out of heaven. He stepped out of the comforts. And so when we talk about generosity, we're not just talking about funds here. We're not just talking about money. What we're talking about is holistic idea of stewardship in our life, that we should be generous not only with our funds, but we should be generous with our resources. We should be generous with our time. The girls and I were driving this week and I was talking to him a little bit about this principle, and I started to get him to do math. What's, how many hours do we have in a day, and how many days a week? And then and we started talking. I said, you know, we ha- all of us have 160 hours, 68 hours a week. All of us. We're all given that. What do, how do we utilize that time? Do we utilize that time for the sake of the gospel? And so it's this idea. They said they had one heart and one soul nothing belonging to them, everything in common. It's not that they were shooting for communism or communal living. That wasn't it. It wasn't that people could just go and take whatever they wanted, right? But it was this idea that they realized when Jesus came and they preached the resurrection that this is not their home. And their their principles should not be stored up treasures here and wealth here, but for eternity. And so the focus was the eternal things, it's this idea of a fundamental process of, or principles of biblical stewardship, that God owns everything, that we're just managers, we're administrators acting on his behalf. And see, the gospel fills our heart with love for Jesus and loosens our grip on materialism. That's what it does. And guys, I can just tell you individually, it's a struggle because in this world, we're, we're surrounded by stuff, right? I mean, we're surrounded, used to be just billboards. Now we just pick up our phone and there's ad about this and ad about that. And they track your shopping. They track your viewing. So they're just throwing at you all your favorite little uh, gadgets that you like or favorite shoes or favorite clothes, right? And you're just, I mean, it's just like Amazon Prime has got you wrapped, right? It's easy. It's easy, right? It's easy because we get caught up in this. But we realize that when we fall more in love with Jesus, it loosens our grip on materialism. It loosens our grip on this world. And see, if you see anything good about me, if you see anything good about the people here, it's not us. It's Jesus. There are people here, and we see in the scriptures that many people were giving. Now, we see Joseph, who, who we know as Barnabas, giving, but there's lots of others that were giving that we don't even know the names of. 
people were giving. So it's not about the person, it's about the gospel. People are giving, people are blessing. And listen, this is what I notice in this. There are going to be seasons when you're going to be the giver, and there's going to be seasons when you're going to be the receiver. See, God blesses us many times so we can be a conduit. Not so we can build up treasures for ourselves, but we can be ambassadors, we can be agents, we can be vessels to give and to advance his kingdom. And one of the ways we do that is giving to others. I think um, there's two traps. We talked about this a little bit last week about how we can kind of fall into two traps as a church. Sometimes we can get so focused on physical needs and felt needs that we forget to mention the gospel, right? And it's like putting band-aids on a, you know, a, a bullet wound or we can focus so much on the spiritual needs and not truly fulfill the gospel. Um, we're all, all we're saying is, you know, be filled, um, get baptized, and wait for Jesus to come back. And we're not doing anything to, to physically feed, uh, provide shelter, to rescue people from sex trafficking or human trafficking. We're not doing any of those things that we should be doing that Jesus came to make sure heaven becomes on earth. So it's, it's not an either or, it's a both and and we talked about this. And so we have to be careful to not fall in either one of those ditches. And it says here, when the gospel was proclaimed, when the, the gospel, the preaching of the resurrection was proclaimed, it basically said this, there was great grace among them. Isn't it good news that when the gospel is proclaimed, there's great grace? I don't know about you, but I need great grace. I needed great grace the first day that God opened my eyes to see that I needed him, and I need great grace today to follow him. And so when the gospels preach, great grace is given. And it says that there was not a needy person among them. Many brought proceeds. Listen, the purpose of wealth is not to get rich, but to do good with it. That's the purpose of wealth. Not to get rich, not to store up treasures here on heaven, but to do good. And there's no greater good than to advance God's kingdom and the gospel. And it says in 35, they laid it at the apostles' feet. See, gospel givers are humble givers. Now, it's important to know where your funds go. It's important that there's accountability and all those things. But when you're giving, you give liberally and you don't have to have control, Right? You, you, God equips men and women to lead the churches, and when God gives it, it's a conduit through us. And we're the church. It doesn't mean you have to give directly to the church, but it's important to understand that the church is a conduit to do God's work. And so we need to be givers, but we need to be humble givers. And then it goes on to say, there was a man named Barnabas. His name, or his nickname was Barnabas, the son of of encouragement. And I kept thinking about that name and I thought, wow, what a great nickname. I mean, you're, you're the encourager. Isn't that, isn't that good? I don't know about you. I need encouragement. Do you need encouragement? I need encouragement. And this is what I used to tell students for years, students that struggled maybe sometimes having friends and they say, I, I'm struggling finding a friend. I'm, I'm like, first of all, I want to ask you, are you being a friend, right? If you're struggling for encouragement, are you being an encourager? The Bible says you will sow what you, I mean, you will, you will reap what you sow, right? And so are you sowing encouragement? 
Are you giving encouragement to others? If you want to be encouraged, you need to encourage others. When you meet Jesus, how you use your words will change. I got to believe Barnabas wasn't Barnabas before he came to know Christ. He was only Barnabas after he came to Christ. Because when you meet Jesus, how you use your words will change. Generous, listen, generosity, generous with his wallet, but his resources. Listen, this is what generosity does when it's, when it's I'm sorry, this is when the gospel does through generosity. Freed from the love of stuff and increased in the love of others. In other words, people become more important than stuff. I want you to think about that for a second. People become more important than stuff. How many times have we heard sacrifice someone just to get stuff? You can see this when family members die, don't you? When people start squabbling over the inheritance or the land or whatever it may be, right? I told my parents, I told my dad, I told my mom, I'm like, you better label everything because if not, I'm just casting lots, all right? We are not going to get in that, all right? Uh, So the reality is people are more important than stuff. We see the focus on the gospel, the prioritizing work of the gospel. When we're generous, we prioritize the gospel. Listen, I'm no longer enslaved to what I own, but to the one who owns me. The scripture says in 1 Corinthians, we are not our own. We've been bought with a price, right? We owe God everything. We owe Jesus everything. Listen, and our giving should not be tied to duty, but to joy. Why is it or what is it about Jesus that we can, we can give our heart to and we can trust him for eternal salvation, but we can't trust him with our wallet and our resources and our time? I don't get that, right? And I'm not saying that, get it, like you're, I struggle with that too. There's times where we struggle with giving God everything. So we see, first, the gospel makes us generous. Second thing I want you to see in this is hypocrisy endangers unity. Hypocrisy endangers unity. Me, let me read that again. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, I want to define hypocrisy. We talked about it earlier. Hypocrisy is this, is a pretense of having a virtual character. It is a moral or religious belief of principles, etc., that one does not really possess. In other words, it's saying that I've got it all together or I'm doing this, but in reality, I'm living a lie. Okay? That's what hypocrisy is. You know, it appeared that these are similar stories, but we see something at the beginning of verse 5 that makes us think for a second, right? That big word, but, okay? But, and this is where we see there's a difference between these two stories. One is a great example. One is a blaring warning. I want you to know this. 
authenticity matters to God. Okay? Authenticity matters to God. No one here is perfect. That's why Jesus had to come. But authenticity matters to God. So how do we become more authentic? If authenticity matters, and we know it matters here because they were projecting one thing and they were living something completely different. How do we grow on authenticity? First, I want to say this. Living your life on a lie can be fatal. Projecting one thing, but in reality being something else completely different can destroy you, okay? And I think what we're trying to create here in our church is this idea of authentic community where we say we're wide for relationships. God made us to have relationships and he, he made us to have self-sacrificing relationships that are gospel-centered, okay? And we want to live in genuine community, but it takes time to build that, right? And this is what I know about authentic community because I've been there. There's been seasons where I really have it and there's been times where it goes. Sometimes because People leave, and then you have to build that trust all over again. Or sometimes you move to a different area, or you change. And so because things change and shift, or maybe somebody got a new job, and they can't meet anymore, whatever it might be, okay, that comes and goes. But I, I can tell you this. There are many hurdles to this authenticity. And here are some of the ones that I've heard and even experienced. Is this. Many times we don't become authentic because we want to make ourselves look better than we really are. And guys, let's be honest. The church in some ways has trained us to do this, right? We learn this language, we come in and, how you doing? I'm doing good. Praise the Lord. When we just, <laughs> when we just had a huge fight with our spouse, right? Coming in, they're yelling. I'm, I'll never forget. I remember I had the, I was, uh, I was the I forget the name of the title. Basically, I had from cradle to college. I was family life pastor. That's what it was at this church. And I, and I did children's church once a month. I taught it, worked, rotated with my worker or leaders. And I remember teaching, and one of the little girls, I knew her daddy well. Her, her, his boys were really good athletes at a local high school, and I was involved in their life. And I remember her prayer request, and she raised her hand, and she said, will you pray for my daddy? I said, yes, honey, I'll pray for your daddy. And she says, because he said some bad words on the way to church. <laughs> you know, leave it up to the kids. They'll make us authentic in a moment, won't they? But listen, we, we, we put on this facade at church, and we don't need to, okay? Now, I'm not saying you, you emotionally vomit, okay, down the hallway as you come to church. That's, that's not what I think is happening or what God wants us to do. But we need to find those people that we can be real with. See, being real on authentic many times is, it's not many times, it is hard and it is messy and it takes time. But see, many of us are not willing to put in the work to, to get messy and work hard at being authentic. But we have to because God desires us to be authentic. See, Many times the reason we're not authentic is we believe the lie that we're the only one. You're the only one that struggles with that. And that's a lie. Every sin, okay, is represented in this room. I promise you, okay? There's not a person in here that you couldn't find your match 
and what you're struggling with in this room. I promise you. It may be depression. It may be grief. It may be pornography. It may be stealing, struggling with taking things that's not yours. Covetousness. It could be all kinds of stuff in this room. But the reality is there's 59, almost 59, one to another. We need to pray for one another. We encourage one another, carry each other's burdens, confess our sins one to another. We are made to do relationships. And we need to understand it's important to go in deep with people. And that there are other people that are in this room that are struggling with sin, that are struggling with their thoughts. See, many of us don't or won't get authentic because we've been hurt. I trust that person and they did this to me. Well, guess what? That didn't stop Jesus, right? And if we're, he's our example, and we're to be like him, it didn't stop him. What did he say on the cross? Forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. Forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. And listen, I know because I've been hurt. I know because I've been betrayed. I know because I've been lied about. And Jesus still did not keep that from living a sacrificial life to his Father. And we, as Christ followers, as ambassadors, as, if you will, many Christ Christians, we're to live those self-sacrificial relationships. Now, listen, I think it's to be wise to find those people you can trust. But guess what? There's nobody who's betrayed you more than you. Think about that. How many times have you said, I'm never going to do this again, and I do it again? How many times have I said, I'm going to break this, and I go right back to it? So if you forgive yourself, shouldn't you be able to forgive others? Now, you need to find those people that you can be real with. And it says here in verse 2, it says, but they kept back from themselves. The first thing I want you to realize is this. They lied to themselves. They lied to themselves. Ananias and Sapphira lied to themselves. So how do we, how do we become and grow on autistic? First thing is you have to be real with yourself. Learn to become real with yourself. This is what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 51, 6. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being. You teach me wisdom in the secret heart. We need to learn to be real with ourselves. See, God's not the problem. We're the problem. To follow God, we must deny ourselves and say yes to Jesus and no to ourselves. And as I said earlier, we judge others by their worst actions. Listen, but we judge ourselves by our best intentions. Isn't it funny? Some jerk comes flying down the highway and cuts you off. You're like, I hope a cop gets him. Right? And the minute you see blue lights in your rearview mirror, you say, don't they have something better to do? I mean, I was only going seven miles over the speed limit. Right? Why? Because we judge others by the worst actions, but we judge ourselves by our best intentions. And it says here in verse 2, it says, they laid it at the apostles' feet. The second thing I want you to see that they did is they lied to others. But listen, if we're going to grow in authenticity, we need to be real with others. So we see they lied to themselves first. If we're going to grow in authenticity, we got to be real with ourselves. We need to recognize that we're broken 
And we need to humble ourselves before God and ask for help. First for salvation and then daily abiding in him after that. And second, we need to recognize that we lie to others and we need to begin to be real with others. We need to develop relationships with other Christians that are real, authentic. One, listen, one of the main causes of hypocrisy is that we're not willing to have these type of relationships that will expose where we're blind. That's the reason we have it. We, we don't want to become hypocrites, but we end up becoming hypocrites because not willing to open up and show our blind spots and be real with people. And when people speak in to your life, they can say, dude, I love you, but that's not cool. You, you can't go that route. You, you can't talk to people like that. You, you can't expose yourself to those things. You can't go be alone with that person. You're making yourself vulnerable, right? There, there's situations I remember very clearly when I was a, a young, very young guy in my early 20s. And I remember for the first time I was beginning to understand what this looked like in real life. And I remember having a discussion with some guys and I realized... He said, listen, I, I told him something and it happened. And even though I didn't fall into sin, it got very close. And, and they said, listen, you, you can continue to just go back to that because that's where you came from. You're going to go back to that lifestyle. But the reality is this. If you don't start becoming real with us and, and letting us in your life, you're just going to fall right back into that. And I started realizing the first, first thing, consistency in my life meant I had to be vulnerable to other people that loved Jesus, that cared about me, always pushed me toward Jesus, pushed me toward the gospel, Right? It forgave me, didn't judge me, but held me accountable. And this is what God wants us to do. He wants us to develop these real relationships with other Christians. See, a failure to walk in community in a way that reveals what is really going on in our hearts, in our minds, and our lives. That's the reason we fall into hypocrisy many times. See, Ecclesiastes says it like this, 4, 9 through 12. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. Woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm, warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. Listen, a three-fold cord is not easily broken. See, when you have two men, you have two women that are pursuing Christ together, okay? But then you have Jesus in the center. That three-strand cord is not easily broken when you're pursuing together. What Solomon was saying is this. This is Solomon's way of saying that there should always be someone in the trenches of our life with you. Always. Now, understanding many of us in this place are married and we have a spouse. And understand there's a certain amount of level of accountability with my wife and I. But there's also things that she feels like she can only share with other women. And there's certain things that I feel like I can only share with other men. There's a commonality among women and men. Okay? That there's a depth of that that you can share and get in the trenches with one another. There should be at least one who knows everything about you. At least one who knows what you're thinking, what you're about, and what you're currently wrestling with. 
what you currently have on your plate, where you feel where you currently are in regards to your margins in your life. There should always be at least one. Listen, when we talk about living an authentic life, this is what we mean. I must learn to share what happens in me, not just around me. I need to learn to share what's in me, not just around me. Many of us are good about sharing what's going on around us. I just shared earlier about my folks. And the, so let me share, that was what was going around me. Let me share what's actually happened in me. Is I feel like I have to be everything to everybody sometimes. And when I came home, I was not a nice guy. I was mean to my wife, and we got in fights. That's what was happening in me. Okay? That was what's happening in me. And there's times where we have to be real with one another. And if I'm not going to be real, how can I expect you to be real? Honey, I'm sorry. Will you please forgive me? See, guys, we need to realize that God is looking for authenticity. He wants this to be real. And there's going to be times in your life that that seems to be going pretty good. And you're hitting in all cylinders. But I'm just telling you, it's going to get messy really fast. We see in the first three or four chapters, three and a half, four and a half chapters, the church is going really good. It's like momentum's going. They're taking the ball down the field. They're scoring, they're scoring touchdowns, right? And then all of a sudden we see, we get in a huddle and we realize there's some messiness going on. There's some bickering happening between the, the quarterback and the receiver and the, the, the lineman and the, and the running back, right? There's some real stuff happening, okay? And we've got to learn to be real. We've got to learn to be authentic, Life means we have to share what's in us, not just around us. And then verse 3 through 4, it says this. Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? See, we're all going to be full of something. We're made to be vessels. We're made to worship. We're always going to be worshiping something, serving something. Romans says, whatever you become obedient to, you become a slave to. You worship. Whatever you, whatever you surrender yourself to, you're going to become a worshiper of that. It's either to the God, yourself, or all this stuff around us. But listen, we give the enemy permission when we surrender to his lies. See, Satan is the father of lies. In fact, it says when he's lying, he's speaking his native language. And when we fall into a lie, I was just I meet with a guy weekly, and we're going through a book. And one of the great lines in this book, it says, every time we buy into the lie, we're basically joining forces with the enemy to defeat our own selves. And so what we need is we need people around us that will be real with ourselves first, be real with others, that speak truth in our lives, to, if you will, be those guard keepers around our soul, to be those gatekeepers around us. 
See, ultimately, they didn't just lie to themselves. They didn't just lie to others. They lied to God. Okay? And so if we're going to deepen our authenticity, we have to be real with God. I love this phrase. I stole it from somewhere. I'm not actually where I stole it from, but this is it. If you are not ready to be real, God is not ready to heal. If you're not ready to be real, God is not ready to be healed. How do I know that? My life verse, Matthew 16, 24 says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, pick up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save it will lose it. For whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what would profit a man if he gains his whole world, yet forfeits his soul? What can a man give in exchange for his soul? The reality is this. When you surrender to God and get real with God and humble yourself and say, God, I'm broken. I can't fix myself. I need you. You're the one and only Savior. I return away from my sin and self and give my life to you. The scriptures make it very clear. You will then become fully human. You will be able to become the man or the woman that God meant you to be. It's only then will you find yourself. And Colossians 3 says it this way. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and you, your life is hidden with, with Christ in God. This is what God is calling us to do. He's calling us to be real with ourselves, real with others, and most importantly, real with him real with him. We need to develop a real relationship with God. And when we find that, we will ultimately be able to be the man and the woman that God's created us to be. The third thing I want you to write down, if you're keeping notes, is this. The holy fear of God gripped his people when they saw the results of hypocrisy. When they saw the results of hypocrisy. See, God takes sin seriously. Have you thought about it? The cross. It's pretty serious. It's the most gruesome way to die. And the scriptures tell us that God took that through his son on the cross for us. And see, when we, when we downplay sin, we, when we marginalize it, what we're doing is we're disgracing and marginalize the cross of Christ. And understand that God is a holy God, and he poured out his wrath on his son, that we may be pardoned. But because of the mercies of God, we should make our lives a living sacrifice. And we should not partake in the things of this world. We should not give in to our flesh, knowing that his sin our sins are atoned for and we're in right position with God, but we should not take sin casually. We should take it serious. See, the law, I can do this and it won't hurt anyone. We've heard this many times, but listen, sin will keep you longer than you want to stay. Sin will always take you further than you want to go. And sin will always cost you more than you want to pay. See, God will not be mocked. God is not fooled. God sees it all. And an unrepentant of sin brings death to our fellowship with God. It, 
it, it breaks our fellowship. Listen, I will love my kids no matter what they do, but when they do certain things, it messes up our fellowship. It messes up our relationship in the sense of it will always be father-daughter relationship. But there is a tension and a distance when they rebel, right? And it's true with our sin. God cannot be mocked. He will not be fooled. And an unrepentant sin brings death to our fellowship with God. See, it's hard to hear the voice of God when we're bent on sinning. When we're bent on deceiving. When we're bent on being hypocrites. So it's so important to understand. Ananias and Sapphira also needed the application of the gospel. Somehow there was a disconnect. Ananias and Sapphira somehow wanted to be like so much like these others had given. And like we talked last week, that, that struggle to want to be liked and to be elevated, which is what self-righteousness is. It's this idea of climbing this ladder that goes to nowhere, by the way. And that's, that's not what the gospel is. And that's not what we're trying to create here. We're trying to create an environment, again, where it's okay not to be okay. It's just not okay to stay there. And we're saved by grace through faith. It's not of ourselves. It's the gift of God. By grace alone, through Christ alone, by faith alone, on the scriptures alone. Right? And so understanding this is what we're trying to create. So the big question this morning I want to ask you is this. Is your identity in the gospel? Is your identity in the gospel? Or, or is it in something that you're trying to get accolades for or achieve or somehow summon, somehow arrive? Probably one of the greatest things. When I look back, um, I was on a mission trip to New York at the time. And I think it was our senior year and I remember this uh, youth pastor. He had been at Liberty and he graduated. He went back to his home church. And for some reason, this guy, he just, him and I connected. Um, he was a bilingual guy. And uh, him and I just, we just hit it off. And he was at a very dynamic church. And God was just moving in a mighty way. And I just remember coming to a point where I was following God, but I was, I, it was like I was trying to still earn God's grace. And I wasn't resting in the identity that I had in the gospel in Christ. And I remember him saying, are you trusting yourself? Are you trusting God for forgiveness? Are you, are you somehow trying to earn it? We can't earn it. We have to rest in our identity in the gospel. It's also important to abide as we learn right here. But are you being real with yourself? Are you being real with others? Are you being real with God? Will you stand? I just want to challenge you this morning. Is your identity in the gospel or is it in something other than the gospel? It's so easy in this world, even as Christians, to fall into the trap of competing, somehow measuring up. But listen, your identity should be found in the one who can save you, the one who can rescue, the one who can give you, like we talked about last week, not a new version of you, but a brand new person. A brand new person. Father, we love you. We thank you for your grace. God, I desperately need your grace. God, I fell so much as a son, as a 
husband, as a father, as a pastor. And I want to be a son that you're proud of. God, would you give us hearts that are authentic? God, would you give us hearts that are not trying to put on some front? None of us have it together. God, would we find those two or three that we can just be vulnerable with and real and share what's in us, not just around us? God, we need you, Father. God, if there's anyone here this morning that doesn't know you, their identity is not in you. It's in their stuff. It's in their personality. It's in what they have achieved. It's in maybe their successes or their failures. That's not their identity. Their identity can be found in you. Would you humble hearts today to say yes to Jesus? God, if there's anyone in this room that just needs to be prayed for and prayed with, that they would come forward and we would be able to pray over them, encourage their hearts today. Or they can just come and spend time with you. Would you do that? Would you do a work that only you can change hearts and lives forever? Father, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been the weekly podcast from Spotswood at Lady Smith in Caroline County, Virginia, USA. These podcasts are available on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Google Play. You can also find the video version of the podcast on our YouTube channel. Just go to spotswoodls.org and click the YouTube link. Thanks for listening, and God bless you.